The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode, this time taking an unusual approach. Instead of a person who's made an active contribution within the history of the life of Hamlet, this time we're looking at Hamnet Shakespeare and how his death may have influenced Shakespeare and the writing of the play. Hamnet was born in early 1585. We don't have an exact date, but we do know he was christened alongside his twin sister Judith on February the 2nd. He died when he was only 11 and was buried on the 11th of August in 1596. Of late, there have been a considerable number of artworks based on this boy's life and particularly his death. Much has been made of the similarity between the names Hamnet and Hamlet. By all accounts, the names were almost interchangeable. Indeed, in Shakespeare's own will, the name Hamnet Sadler, a beneficiary, is spelled Hamlet. Hamnet, or Hamlet, was a common enough name in Elizabethan England that we can discount any theory that Shakespeare's son was named after an obscure historical Danish prince. What's much more interesting is the variety of thinkers who have attempted to trace connections between Hamnet Shakespeare and his father's play. We know that there had been a Hamlet play written quite a few years before Shakespeare's version, so that perhaps it was in the aftermath of his son's death that Shakespeare put pen to paper to write his own version of the story. The five works that I've been looking at each come from entirely different genres, a literary article, a novel, a film, a sitcom and a piece of contemporary theatre. First up is an article by Stephen Greenblatt from the New York Review of Books in 2004. It's called The Death of Hamnet and the Making of Hamlet. I'm already nervous that at some point during this podcast I'm going to call Hamnet Shakespeare Hamlet Shakespeare, so hopefully I won't, but bear with me if such an error comes in. Apparently, the Elizabethans did it all the time. Greenblatt's essay is a beautiful piece, interrogating how Shakespeare's grief eventually manifested itself in various aspects of his writing before Greenblatt turns to Hamlet and sees Shakespeare wrestling with Catholic and Protestant ideas of the afterlife. Greenblatt suggests that Hamlet ushers in a new chapter in Shakespeare's artistic life because in this play, he finds a means of allowing an audience into the interior life of a character like no one ever had before. Greenblatt is also quite sanguine about the dangers of trying to reconstruct aspects of Shakespeare's personal life from his works. This doesn't mean that people haven't tried, of course, and it is an endlessly interesting game to play. There's a fine tradition of novelists reconstructing Shakespeare's life from the scraps we know and the potential hints within his plays. Writers from James Joyce to Anthony Burgess tried their hand at it, as does the next Hamnet, which is a new book by Maggie O'Farrell. Interestingly, she credits Stephen Greenblatt's article as a major inspiration for her novel. It's a great challenge to write a book about something like a death in the family. A book about a child called Hamnet will have to work very hard to manage any surprises, since the one thing we know for certain about Hamnet Shakespeare is that he died young. He was William Shakespeare's son, and he died when he was only 11. What O'Farrell does is quite extraordinary. 
She manages, in sensuous, evocative detail, to conjure up the world of Stratford in the 1580s and 90s, when a young man and woman fall in love, get pregnant and marry. She uses names and concrete details very sparingly, since they are not necessary. This is a story of a wife and her husband, and her love for her children, and her life with her in-laws, all of them living together in a small town. The threat of death hangs over the story until it comes, but even then it doesn't happen the way that we think. The true genius of this novel is in its depiction of a parent's grief, a mother's grief really, and an extraordinary final scene that's so good I won't describe it at all. It's very rare that I have been as moved by a story as I was by this one, and like I said, I thought I knew how it was going to end. Mention of a mother's grief reminds me of the one speech that nearly all of these responses to Hamlet's death seem to use. It's not at all from Hamlet, but from King John, maybe one of Shakespeare's least known plays these days. This play was most likely written in 1596, in the months after Hamlet's death. Within its complicated historical story, a mother, Constance, loses her son, and she rails against those who tell her that she is mad with grief. She says she wishes she was mad, but that she isn't. Grief fills the room up of my absent child. Lies in his bed, walks up and down with me, puts on his pretty looks, repeats his words, remembers me of all his gracious parts, stuffs out his vacant garments with his form. This is one of the most quoted Shakespearean speeches about grief. It's a small image, but it's devastating. And certainly it is easy to imagine Shakespeare alone in London, forlorn with the grief of his own lost son. This isn't to say that he only wrote grief-stricken, sad plays after Hamnet died. Quite the contrary. He didn't really write any tragedies at the time. Although Much Ado About Nothing, As You Like It, and The Merry Wives of Windsor all appeared in the period around and immediately after Hamnet's death. So too did both parts of Henry IV and Henry V, bombast, swagger, national pride, and Falstaff, roaring into life and maybe dragging Shakespeare back from the brink of despair. You see how easy it is to invent feelings based on the tentative chronology of the plays. It's a seductive game for sure. Maggie O'Farrell made up a novel about where Hamlet came from, based, at least in part, on Stephen Greenblatt's academic conjectures, but neither project is anywhere near as fanciful as Kenneth Branagh's recent film All Is True. A small piece of trivia, All Is True is the alternative title for Shakespeare's very late play Henry VIII. During this very play, a cannon shot from the stage went the wrong way and caught in the thatch and the whole theatre the globe, Shakespeare's artistic home, burned down. Soon after this disaster, he moved back to Stratford, and it is what happened next that Branagh attempts to reconstruct. It's very lovingly created and has tender performances from luminaries like Ian McKellen and Judy Dench. There is a tension at the heart of the Shakespeare family, a grudge, maybe a secret, that has taken years to rear its head, focused on how Shakespeare chose to leave Stratford for London, leaving his wife and daughters to mourn the dead Hamlet. While other works may have mined the plays for nuggets of possible biography, 
This story uses tiny details from the records in Stratford, public records and legal documents, including Shakespeare's will and his curious bequest of his second best bed, to invent a life for Shakespeare between his retirement and his death. It's a jolly little fantasy, but it feels somewhat unsatisfying, perhaps because it's based so much on things that we can never really know. Hamnet quite literally haunts the film, praying for his writer father to end his story. In a way, he does. Sadly, for our purposes, without very much Hamlet to be found. All is True was written by the English playwright and comedian Ben Elton. Elton has spent a lot of time on Shakespeare in recent years, having also created several series of a sitcom about Shakespeare's life called Upstart Crow. The television show has a much lighter and more irreverent vibe than the warm-toned, glossy biopic, but it smartly ties each episode to the crises surrounding Shakespeare as he tries to write his plays. Very often, his no-nonsense wife is the one who comes up with the solutions and suggestions that improve his plays. All of the hilarity and cheekiness is undercut in the finale of the third season, when the show rather brilliantly observes the death of Hamnet and the shock it causes. It is unvarnished, it is not at all funny, and it's a brilliant turn. It's followed by a Christmas episode that pulls an outrageous stunt, also featuring Kenneth Branagh, trying to bring the family out of mourning by a clever Christmas trick about three ghosts and goodwill to all men. Rather than making a fourth season, the sitcom transferred to the stage earlier this year, back when we still had theatres to go to, and Ben Elton wrote a whole new story, adding a definite article and calling it The Upstart Crow. The stage is, perhaps, the most likely site for an exploration of Shakespeare's son and the impact of his death. Dublin-based theatre company Dead Centre did just that in late 2017, with a production that was also called Hamnet. This was a new play, written by Ben Kidd and Bush Murkarzal, and originally starring Ollie West, an 11-year-old actor. The piece introduces a smart young man who seems to be trapped in a white box, an empty space, perhaps, as he tries to figure out where his father is. He works very hard in the hope of transcending quantum physics to get out of this white box and to become a great man to be or not to be. That is very much the question, one that he grapples with, toys with, jokes about, and even asks Google to help with. In a really startling piece of digital trickery, what appears to be the ghost of Hamnet's father appears on stage, and they talk. It's strained and painful because they cannot quite connect. One is alive, one is dead. We've been thinking that it was one way around, but of course... It's the other, and when the play reaches its breaking point, the conceit breaks apart, and we realise that it is Hamnet who is the ghost haunting his father, and not the other way around. It's a beautiful piece, gently and lyrically aware of what it's like to be young, and brave enough to confront how difficult it is never to be let grow up. Focusing on the frustration and confusion of the child makes it all the more heartbreaking to see the parent, Shakespeare, grappling with death and all the losses it creates. In all of these thought-provoking pieces, Hamnet is a cipher. Sometimes he has a face, sometimes he has a voice. 
It's fascinating to wonder whether Shakespeare wrote his most extraordinary play as a memento of his son or as a means of coping with his grief. Will we ever know how Hamnet died or how the loss affected the Shakespeare family? Who knows? At the end of Shakespeare in Love, another gleeful fantasy on Shakespearean themes, Tom Stoppard suggests that Shakespeare wrote Twelfth Night because his girlfriend moved away to the New World. Twelfth Night is the play we believe came directly after Hamlet, and it is the story of a young woman trying to come to terms with the loss of her twin brother. She finds herself adrift in a new world of love, madness and possibility, and before she can become an adult woman, she dresses up just like her beloved brother as a means of survival. I know I'm doing it again, framing a play from the perspective of Shakespeare's real lived experience, but I think perhaps we don't have to look too far to see what might have motivated such a storyline. It's a comedy, albeit a bittersweet one, and unlike in real life, Shakespeare can insist on a reunion at the end, when both of his twins end up happily married. Already I want Maggie O'Farrell to write a sequel called Judith. If she doesn't, maybe I will. I'll speak to you next time.